We've been looking at watching Paul move through three missionary journeys, totaling, would you believe that his three journeys total about 6,500 miles? Isn't that extraordinary? Paul has returned to Jerusalem now, and what a tumultuous reception he receives. This mob of Jews um, nearly tear him to pieces, accuse him of teaching against the law and against the temple and against um, everything that they stand for. They drag him out of the temple grounds and try to kill him. I find it slightly amusing that they would not kill him in the temple grounds because that's against the commandments, but they would pull him out and kill him out there. It's interesting that once again it's the Romans that rescue him. You remember back in uh, chapter uh, 18, there was a Roman official named Gallio who came to Paul's rescue. And now it's a contingent of soldiers that are... Um, situated in the Antonia Fortress. This was a fortress the Romans had built overlooking the temple. I read that one of the reasons they built it right there was because they needed to keep an eye on these unruly Jews. And so here's Paul. The violence is so great that the soldiers actually have to pick him up and carry him up the steps into this fortress can, can you visualize this scene? I mean, this is such dramatic stuff, isn't it? You can, can't you just hear the crowd screaming for his blood and, and feel the press of the crowd? It's, it's a dramatic moment. And Paul, amazingly, gets up. They have to carry him up two flights of steps. He gets to the top, and he thinks, I got a good vantage point here. I could talk to these people. And so he does. Um, I don't know that he looked quite that put together when he was standing there addressing these people. It's absolutely amazing to me. Um, he, in Greek, he asked the commander for permission to speak. Astonishing that after being dragged out of the temple grounds, nearly beaten to death by the crowd, the crowd screaming for his blood, he now has the presence of mind, the intelligence, the courage, the physical strength, the spiritual strength to actually stand there and address these people. He tells the story of how and when he met Jesus and how that changed his life. And I, I'm just awed by his focus on his mission on his purpose to tell people about the cross of Christ and what Jesus did for them on that cross. That's what's motivated him as he's traveled these thousands of miles. The more we read about Paul, the more we're inclined to think of him as superhuman. But if we do that, we'll conclude that the things that he experienced are not relevant to us. Paul was a human being. And I'm struck by his suffering of all kinds. You know, Luke, the author of this book of Acts, does not tell us about all, this, all the things that Paul went through. Let me tell you about uh, some of the, the list of things that he wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians. 
He lists these hardships that he experienced. In prison frequently, flogged severely, exposed to death again and again, five times received from the Jews 39 lashes. Let me explain that number. First of all, five times he was, he was flogged. If you, read, if you looked up any of the information in your study about what happens when a person is flogged, this is an absolutely inhuman kind, inhumane, inhuman kind of, kind of uh, torture. Um, and in Deuteronomy, it is instructed that Jews were not supposed to flog people more than 49 lashes, or more than 40 lashes. And the Jews, in order to not make a mistake, would flog people 39 lashes. They just didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to break the law. Um, So five times he's flogged, three times he's beaten with rods. That's a Roman method of punishment where they tie sticks together and just batter somebody with this um, bunch of sticks. Once he is stoned, maybe you remember that. That was in chapter 14. He was in Lystra, and he was stoned and left for dead. Three times he's shipwrecked, in danger from rivers, bandits, Jews, and Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. He labored, toiled. He'd often gone without sleep. He was hungry, thirsty, cold, naked. And on top of all this, he says, he felt the pressure of concern for the churches. Just look at that list. It doesn't even include the rejection, the inaccurate accusations, the hostility of his own people. And it's not only the pain and suffering the moment, but what about the, the ongoing results of all the all these insults to his body. You know, you don't endure all that and and not have lasting effects, do you? At the end of his letter to the Galatians, Paul says that he bears on his body the marks of Jesus. Moreover, Paul had what he referred to as a thorn in the flesh. He had some long-term ailment There are all kinds of, boy, people really get off on this, all kinds of guesses about what that thorn in the flesh might have been, all the way from malaria to some eye problem, a huge list of possibilities. And we have no idea really what it was, and really it doesn't matter. Um, But Paul called it a messenger from Satan, a problem that the enemy hoped to use to discourage him and turn him from his purpose. He asked God three times to take the problem away. And surely there were other times that God's, that Paul said to God, couldn't, couldn't you kind of take it easy on me, you know? Couldn't you, couldn't you stop all this stuff? Does it have to be so hard? Okay, let's just leave Paul sitting there for a minute asking those kinds of questions, waiting, wondering, hoping, praying that God will take away whatever this bringing him pain. You know that place. You've sat in that place, waiting 
if somehow whatever's cause causing you physical pain or psychological pain or emotional or relational or whatever kind of pain you're experiencing, waiting for an answer from God. Some of you are there right now, agonizing over something that just looms in your life, something you have no control over, something you, you just you feel totally unempowered as you face it. And if you're not in a situation like that, you know it's true that life brings the unexpected. It brings the, the, the pain along with the joy, sometimes the broken heart, sometimes fear that can immobilize us. How do we live in that place of hardship? Well, I've, I'm, I'm telling myself some of these things, and so I'm, I'm going to make some suggestions together as to how we can face the hardships that, that we face. I suggest that, first of all, we don't ask why. You know, it's so interesting the way we tend to ask that question first, don't we? Why, why is this happening to me? And if we get stuck there, we may miss God's purposes. Charles Swindoll says this, Suffering is not about identifying the cause. It's about focusing on the response. Notice that word response. He doesn't say it's about focusing on the solution. It's about my response, your response, to what it is that we're experiencing. I would also suggest that we don't act strong. Okay, I got to tell you, I got to kind of confess to you here. Um, about three weeks ago, I told you that it wasn't going to be too long before I was going to have to go back to uh, chemotherapy regimen. Four years ago, I went through that and um, so my doctors were telling me my blood work wasn't looking good and I was going to have to do that. And I stood here and I said to you, I know that God is strong and loving. I know that he holds my life in his hands. I know that he holds every moment from my birth to my death. And so what is there to fear? Well, let me tell you how that worked out. <laughs> when you have to go through chemo, before that happens, you have to go and you have to sit in this counseling session. Oh, it's lots of fun. This sweet young thing sits at the table, and she has this big pile of papers. And she goes through those papers, and she tells you about all the side effects. And she tells you about all this stuff you really never wanted to know or hear. And you know what? The next day, I was overwhelmed. And I don't even know how to tell you the word 
for whatever was going on inside of me. But the best illustration I can think of is you think about a, a washing machine, a top-loading washing machine, and that thing in there that's going like this. That's, that's what I experienced. And I look back at my... I, I, my confidence was in the right place. And I was telling you the truth. But I see under there a subtext of pride and arrogance, a kind of a statement that says, I've got this. And you know what? The only one that has us is God. And he taught me a big lesson. He taught me a big lesson about acting strong. And I thought I was. But you know, I wasn't. And that's a good thing to find out where your strength stops and where his starts. I would suggest that we don't be alone. You know, when things get dark, it's very tempting to kind of crawl into a hole alone. Um, You get depressed, you get discouraged, you don't want to be with people, and it's, it's not a good place to be. And I would just encourage you to turn away from that pull to retreat and instead reach out to your friends. Be honest. Let them pray for you. I am convinced that it's my, the prayers of my friends that carry me. Prayers of many of you, I know, and I thank you for that. We need to know that God has a purpose in your hardship. There's an important distinction here. Paul says that his thorn in the flesh is a messenger from Satan. That's the source. But if God has allowed it, he must have a purpose in it, right? You might have no idea what that purpose is, and you very well may never know. But we need to trust that he does have purpose. And I would suggest that you leverage your suffering as a way to bear witness to God's presence and power. Testify to the way he's carrying you through. Testify to his gift of peace. I'm not telling you to act like a Pollyanna and stand up and say, oh, I'm just fine, God's in control. That's not, that's not, uh, that doesn't ring true, you know. Be honest. Say it's hard. But if you're meeting God in the midst of your problems, tell people how that's happening because that's powerful. That's real. People can argue with your theology, but they can't argue with your experience. So God's primary purpose, this is really kind of sad truth, God's primary purpose is not to make you and me happy and comfortable. It's too bad, isn't it? Sometimes the gospel's presented like that, you know? God has a wonderful plan for your life. Of course he has a wonderful plan for your life. It may just be that your definition of wonderful isn't the same as his. <laughs> so what is his wonderful plan for you and me? Think about that. What is his highest and best for you? 
Let's go back to Paul. What does our memory verse say? I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish my race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. All that matters to Paul is to be what God has called him to be and to do what God has called him to do. In Philippians, Paul says something similar. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul's goal is to know Christ, this intimate relationship. And he says that knowing Christ has something to do with the power of his resurrection. You know that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and me? The scripture says so. And he says that knowing Christ has something to do with sharing in his sufferings. There's something mysterious here, isn't there? Somehow in our suffering, we connect with Jesus in a unique, remarkable way. In Isaiah, the prediction of Jesus' suffering says, He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He walks beside us most closely, and we with him when our suffering is the greatest. Contentment does not require comfort. We sometimes get that mixed up. But contentment does not require comfort. Okay, we left Paul a few minutes ago sitting there asking God to remove the thorn in his flesh. Now, this is Paul, God's chosen witness to the gospel. If anybody has pull with God, it should be Paul, right? So, you know what God said? God said, no. I'm not going to take this thing away. But he does give him an answer. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sounds crazy. Sounds completely crazy. When I'm weak, I'm strong? It's a ridiculous contradiction in terms. But think about it. So profoundly true. How strong are you and I in our own strength? When life batters us, we find out we're not very strong. I found out I'm not very strong. But when you come to the end of yourself, when you have no resources of your own to draw on, that's when God can pour his strength into us, isn't it? Glass can only be filled when it's empty. Look again at that verse. Delighting in all those negative things, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, so upside down from the way our world thinks. Our world values 
you know, comfort and success and power and happiness. The power that Paul's talking about is foreign to this world, isn't it? When I'm weak, I'm strong. The epitome of suffering in the pages of Scripture is Job, the good, righteous man who followed God and lost just about everything, his wealth, his health, his sons and daughters. After agonizing and questioning God, Job concludes, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. That's a profound sentence to me. Think about things that you've known about, but you didn't really get them until you were able to really lay your eyes on them. And that's what, what Job is saying here. His suffering has brought him to a place where his experience of God is not theoretical, but it's real, it's experiential, it's tangible. He knows God. None of us would ask for hard times. We'd have to be crazy to do that, right? But perhaps they're kind of a gift because they knock our supports out from under us. They throw us into dependence on God when everything else, everything else fails. Hard times break the illusion of self-sufficiency and control. And it's in that place, that place of emptiness, that place of weakness, that we find out that his resources are infinite. So what do you think? When the tough times come, where do you go for strength? Let's pray. Father, we are people who struggle against the tough things in our lives. And we're people, we're, to be honest, who sometimes drown under those things. I pray that you would meet those of us who are in a place of suffering right now. That you would bring your incredible peace, your strength, Help us to trust you, to know that you are with us, closer than a brother. And I pray for those of us who fear suffering. Would you take away that fear? Give us confidence in the fact that you do all things well and that you do indeed have a wonderful plan for our lives. Help us to rest in that. Thank you, God, that you're so real. You speak into our lives with such 
sweetness that you care for us so tenderly. We pray in your name. Amen.